0: I took the liberty to change the name of the sermon this morning. This little paper has when life strikes, worship. But the truth is, when God strikes, worship. He is a sovereign God. He's in charge of everything. So look, look for God and worship him. I want to say good morning to you all. Uh, I love you. I love Grace Church, Memphis, Tennessee. And I've been praying for you to hear, to receive, and respond to the message of God today. and I'm asking God to expose your own hearts to yourself. It's not enough just to know that you have a need. Something has to be done, and we'll see what that is today. Well, one of the verses that God gave me around Tuesday to uh, wind us up and put us in the right room together is uh, Hebrews four sixteen, and I'll give that to us it says come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to find grace for help in the time of need and I want God to show us our needy hearts today everyone in here has a needy heart to some extent before their holy God What today's message is from the book of Habakkuk, it's three chapters, and it's where God exposes Habakkuk's heart, and then it's how Habakkuk responds to God. And you could put your name in the place of Habakkuk, how God exposed my heart to me and how I respond to God. So God's message is so contemporary through this little book uh, and here's the message from God in the book of Habakkuk. Meet me. God says meet me with your needy heart. For he is able to restore it. Now I prayed for you all this this week but the other thing I've prayed for in this room right now, these little black chairs you're sitting in. Uh, I didn't pray they'd be filled with everybody, but I prayed for your particular chair you'd be sitting in, that this morning you would discover it's your meeting place with God. Look where you're sitting. That's your meeting place with God. It can be this morning. It can be. So we've uh, i been praying for that. So... No, no, that's what's going to happen to you this morning. There's three points to the sermon. We've got a who, a what, and a how. It's uh, who Habakkuk is, uh, what Habakkuk was, and how Habakkuk became who he is. And so if I could put the sermon in a sentence, and I know the other pastors like to do this, so I made an attempt. Uh, since God has made us, each one of us, formative beings, or in other words, we're able to be changed by what we're under the influence of. That's both good or bad. So since God has made us formative beings, it matters where you look, and it matters what you cling to. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll get over there in that little book of Habakkuk and see what God says to us today. Well, Father... You are holy, holy, holy. And Lord, the most amazing thing to me is that you've called all your people to be holy in all of our conduct. And we, we don't measure up all the time, Lord, but we praise you that your beloved son is the one who searches our hearts, and he knows our hearts and minds right now. As we sit right there, you know each heart, each mind, here today, Lord Jesus. And your request to us is to, we must love God with all of our hearts, mind, and soul. So Lord, I'm praying that there not be anyone leave here today with a half-hearted love for you. It's totally unacceptable. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you sweep across here? like God's going to send that army to sweep across his land, would you sweep across here today, convicting our hearts, showing us our hearts, causing us to want to run to you and to be mended by you, be repaired by you with our, in our hearts, that would be wholehearted again. Lord, would you revive us? Lord, would you come saturate your people with your presence? That there'd be a great glory place here In this little room. And oh Lord it's all for your glory. We ask you in the name of your beloved son. Jesus Christ. So as we look over at Habakkuk. uh, Chapter 3. We're going to start at the end. That's an odd place to start at the end. But we're going to start at the end. Because we need to see who Habakkuk is. And uh So we're going to look at uh, verse 17 through 19 and a little leading up to it because it's the end of the book. Habakkuk was singing this third chapter. He was singing it and he was singing it as a praise of worship to God when God promised to send a corrective discipline on his unrepentant, backslidden, idol-worshiping people. That's God's people. God's choice as an instrument of corrective discipline is a ruthless army of Babylonians that he will raise up and send to sweep across his land. Last week, y'all heard the Babylonians were coming. And this week, they're promised to come in Habakkuk's time. So let's... uh, hear the word of God in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17 through 19 uh, from the New King James though the fig fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vines though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls yet yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me to walk across the high places. The word of God. As we see this, verse 17 is sort of a combination of what's going to happen. And Habakkuk's world is about to be rocked. I mean really rocked bad circumstances, nothing left. And that's what Habakkuk's facing. So when, and and it's a message from God, it's a, God is sending these people across his place, across his land, and he's uh, facing all that. But then he says yet. Now that little word yet in verse 18, that's probably one of the best words. There's two real good words in this book of Habakkuk. One of them is yet. Because when you say yet, that describes Habakkuk's heart toward his God. His heart was totally Godwardly here. He wasn't looking on the world, he was living in it but not looking at it. He was looking on his God. He wasn't clinging to the world with both fists. He had turned loose and he was clinging to his God, Jesus Christ. That's what Habakkuk was doing. So that little word yet, to it reveals his true heart. I wonder about your heart. Is it true in this circumstances? Would you cling to Christ? Would you turn your eyes totally toward him? Habakkuk is looking off of the world and looking on to Jesus. And I... He says, "I'm rejoicing in my God. I'm not complaining about the circumstances. And when all around me is sorrow, I am clinging to Jesus, my God, for He is the Prince of Peace and He rules my heart. You know, He's can. You have Jesus as the Prince of Peace, but are you allowing Him to rule your heart? Habakkuk was. All of this was about to happen to him in his country, and he was clinging to Jesus like that. And he's a God of all comfort to Habakkuk, and he's soothing Habakkuk during his sorrows. He's trusting him. And I like to say this. I've said it with Charles and his family a lot, uh, but won't say said about Habakkuk right now, Habakkuk is treasuring Jesus above all else. Is this your life's ambition, your life's aim to treasure Jesus Christ above all else, no matter the circumstances? Is it? Habakkuk translated, to some it's translated like this He who clings. Now you know, if you've been around me at all, that kind of really thrills me to know that there's an Old Testament man whose name is translated, he who cleans. And uh, most of you heard me say it. You asked me some today. How you doing? What did I tell you? I'm clinging to Jesus like a new piece of Velcro. And I know most of you don't know what that means. Nobody's ever asked me really, well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, I'm going to tell you what I mean today. It doesn't mean that I'm looking away from Christ, my great shepherd who has this little lamb in his hand, in his saving hand and I'm and this good news that he tells me is, is I'm in the father's hand and the father no one can pluck me out of my father's hand I'm in the eternal grasp of holy God and because of that only because of that one can say I can say I'm clinging to Jesus and when I'm clinging to Jesus this is what it means I'm clinging to him I'm receiving all of his joy I'm experiencing his joy I'm experiencing his peace in my heart. I'm experiencing his infinite love. I'm experiencing his uh, comfort. When you have lots of sorrow in your life, oh, what a friend he is to be your comfort. He can soothe your your sorrows from your life. And he is my only hope, and he dwells in me. He's my only hope of glory, and he is my strength. So I want to tell you I'm clinging to Jesus. You don't have to ask or think about what's the old man thinking. That's what I'm thinking. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Join Habakkuk in your life. No matter your circumstances, cling to Christ. Well, I could say a few other things I say, but I don't know. I'll say it anyhow. Habakkuk is clinging and singing, and Habakkuk is gazing and praising his Lord. And then that's something he was doing. That he's singing this now, y'all. He's singing this third chapter. I'll let, spare y'all of me singing it, but I've sang it several times this last few months. And I back up because he is clinging to his Lord. He's experiencing peace, joy, love, comfort, hope, and strength. That's what his God is offering him. Why cling to the world and don't offer anything but trouble and heartaches? Anxieties that run you around and around. Uh, Drama. A lot of people like drama. Uh, I'm not talking about at school. It's just drama in life. Life's dramas. No matter the circumstances of his life, he's clinging to Christ. He's gazing on his Lord. This is who Habakkuk is, okay? This is who he is in all these circumstances. And so I'm telling you this from that. It matters where you look. It matters where you look. Are you looking on Christ? And it matters what you cling to. Are you gazing on the temporary world? Are you looking at the world of the things and you're holding them? are you looking at your eternal home? your home of hope, your home that faith offers for you. Well, if you're looking on your eternal home, that's an evidence in you that you have faith from God. Are you clinging half-heartedly, holding the world in one hand and Christ in the other? That's not biblical. Don't live that way. Habakkuk's telling you there's only one way to live. And are you wholeheartedly holding on to Christ. Well, that's who Habakkuk is. We're going to have to see what he was, so we're going to have to turn back time to page, page or two, to uh, Habakkuk chapter one. I've turned too many pages. to help us understand Habakkuk in chapter 1 of what Habakkuk was and I pray that too many of us don't totally uh, have these traits in our lives that he had this is what Habakkuk was to help us understand this uh, especially for some of y'all older folks and hopefully for some of the younger is uh, I'm going to use a little saying What's in the well comes up in the bucket. Are you familiar with that? What's in the well comes up in the bucket? You know what a well is. That's where you dig a hole down in the ground to find water, right? And then you got a bucket, and then you put a rope on the bucket and drop it down in there, and you pull it up. Now, what do you expect to find in that bucket? Water, hopefully good water. So what's in the well comes up in the bucket so I'm going to read Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 2, 3, and 4 and we're going to see what comes up in Habakkuk's bucket, okay? Remember we just read who he is. He's appraising and gazing, right? And he's a, clinging to, he's a clinging but now let's look at this chapter 1 verse 2, 3, and 4. This is Habakkuk's prayer life. Oh Lord. How long shall I cry, and you will not hear? Even cry to you, violence, and you shall not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife, and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Well, if you pulled his bucket up, what would you see in it? You'd see a complaining heart. You'd see a grumbling heart. You'd see a prideful heart. You'll see a heart that's self-centered, knee centered And you'll see a heart that's questioning God's wisdom, God's power, and God's sovereignty. That's what kind of fellow he was. That's what Habakkuk was. I call him just a plain old complainer. Now, y'all may say, I'm glad I'm not like that. But remember, Christ said, in our prayer, Christ said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. All your heart. No half-hearted stuff is accepted, okay? Well, this is Habakkuk's prayer life. And who's he looking on while he's praying this? He's probably... Me and uh, Steve Smith used to walk uh, a lot of streets in West Memphis, what we called prayer walking, and we'd walk by a house and see people and see things, and we'd be praying for those people for their salvation. And we walked most of the streets in, in West Memphis, so a backup might have been prayer walking in the city of Jerusalem, I don't know, but he was looking on God's people, and they were unrepentant, they were backslidden, they were idol worshipers, they were far from God. And all of what we just read here in those three verses, that's what he was seeing. And O Habakkuk had no joy, no peace, no comfort, and no love. This is what Habakkuk was. So I'm telling you this, from this Habakkuk's life, it really matters. It really matters where you look. It really matters what you're clinging to. So where are you looking? Where are you looking? And what are you clinging to? I tell you one thing, it's going to come up in your bucket. It's going to come up in your bucket, whatever you're doing. Well, we look at verse 5 through 11, and we find that God speaks to Habakkuk here. And, and I love a dialogue. You know, a dialogue is when you talk, God talks, or God talks, you talk. It's two people talking and conversing together in prayer, and God has to be one of them uh, conversing in prayer with you. And something always good comes from a dialogue with God. But can you remember a circumstance in your life, perhaps, where you've done a monologue and you said, Lord, uh, you're in the, you, you're the escapist for me, so get me out of this problem. And then you went on about your business. But have you ever stopped and say, Lord, why are you in the middle of this jam, middle of this problem, whatever it may be? You say, God, show me your will about this. I want to know your will and let God speak to your heart. That's a dialogue. God's unseen will for our lives is greater than in our monologue of God deliver me, get me out of this place. God don't get the glory like that. Well, he's he's in verse 5. We're going to read verse 5 as he speaks to Habakkuk. God speaking to Habakkuk. He says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe. Or told you that God is telling Habakkuk I'm fixing to do something in your your day and it's going to astound you but it's going to happen in your days so what is that he's going to revive his people, his work he's going to do two things he's going to, he's going to tell us here in a second he's going to do two things to revive his people and I don't know if I would have liked him but Habakkuk sure didn't So verse 6 through 10, we'll see what God's plan is, okay? This is God's work he's fixing to do. For I am raising up the Chaldeans, that's those Babylonians, they're a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They're terrible and dreadful, their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, they're more fierce than evening wolves, they're Chargers charge ahead, their, their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come from violets, Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand, they scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for the heap of earthen mounds and seize it. This is what God's fixing to do, He told him. I'm going to send send these people across the country, and I want you to know about it before it happens, Habakkuk. Well, the dialogue continues. In uh, verse 12 through 17, Habakkuk speaks to God a second time, but in verse 12 and 13 is all we'll read, and we'll see if Habakkuk has changed any at this point from what he was a complainer. So verse 12 and 13, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he. Well, Habakkuk's bucket still has complaining in it, still has questioning God's wisdom to use these Babylonians to to such a severe extent as an instrument to chastise his people. And he wants to know something else from God. God, are you going to wink at their sin? God, are you going to wink at their sin? We all we all get uptight about that. We want to wonder if God's not going to judge somebody else's sin, but He's worried about that. He questioned God about that. He says, "Are you going to wink at their sins while you punish us?" Well, what's in the well it has come up in the bucket again, hasn't it? That's who Habakkuk is, and we're about to see. We're about to see here what happens to change, oh Habakkuk, and hopefully this is where we can be most helped this morning. Habakkuk's response. Habakkuk, he says, God, I see your message. Your message, meet me. God, I'm going to meet you. God, I'm going to meet you. And now we can see how Habakkuk became who he is. From the complainer to the praiser. In chapter 2, verse 1, we'll read that one verse. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me. And I will answer when I am corrected. Now here's what Habakkuk did. Habakkuk looked up on the wall and he saw his post up on this old wall and the back of the end of the city walls were wide. And so he says, I'm going to get up on that wall. I'm determined to have a meeting place with my God. And I'm going to stay there till he speaks to me. He saw something. He saw something in his heart that he hadn't seen before. It's like God had pulled Habakkuk's bucket up out of the well of, and he said, Habakkuk, look in your bucket. See what's in your bucket." And exposing Habakkuk's proud and self-centered and complaining and whining and God at questioning, questioning heart. Habakkuk was looking at that in his bucket, and he realized that his heart conditioned and how wrong he was. He was wanting God to change who he was so he could tend to Habakkuk's need. That's what he wanted. But he saw that now, and he says, God, you don't need to change. I'm the one who needs to change. And that's what was happening. Habakkuk was being brought under conviction, and now it's, he's speaking like this. Now it's God, you don't need to change. You're holy, you're eternal, you're all-wise, you, your, your self-existence, you know everything. God, it's me who needs to change. He saw his need. And we were invited this when we started this morning with through a song and through the scripture. We were invited to come boldly to the throne of grace. And we'd find grace to help in the time of need. Well, Habakkuk. Saw his need. Okay. Habakkuk saw his need. So it's a time of need for him. Has Jesus showed you what's in your bucket today? Has he? It's not enough to know your own heart. You might be like this. Well, Lord, it's just a little bit of, it's just a little bit of pride. It's just a little bit of complaining. It's just a little bit of questioning you. It's just a little bit of selfishness. You know, It's not much in there, God. Look at your hearts this morning. Look. Let God see yourself. Let God see your heart. Show Him. Let Him, cause Him to look at you. It's not enough just to know these things. Jesus tells us, To love God with all of our hearts and minds. And that means not to be half-hearted in your love. That's not acceptable to God. I pray that God has exposed a little bit of pride in your heart. A little bit of selfishness. You know it's there. God knows it's there. So there needs to be a meeting with God about it. You have a need. We have a need. A Habakkuk had a need. And God, he's the only one that can change our hearts. He can change it from a prideful heart to an humble heart. From a self-centered man or woman to a Christ-centered one. To a complainer. From a complainer to a praiser. There is a need. And you must come boldly and find the grace to help your need. We must meet God. And this is what happened to Habakkuk. He climbed up on that wall. And he met his God. These little chairs here are for you. You're sitting in them. Did you come just to escape? Somebody said, well, they didn't come to church today. Of course, we'd have checked on you if you didn't. Uh, But that's not the reason to come. You come to meet with your God. He can show you your heart. I wished I could. But I can't. My words can't change you. My words can't change you. But God can. I can only say, go meet him. Go meet him. What's in your heart this morning? God knows it. Well, look what happens when he's climbed up on the, up on the wall and he sat down and said, God, you've you got to meet with me. In verse 2 and 3, the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it, for the vision is for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries. Wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. The God says him to write it down. He wants the correct message. And I guarantee you, it's wrote down right here in my book. And I know it's wrote in yours because I see you looking at them. But God says, write it down before it happens. That I'm sending this Babylonian army to chasing my people. And it's going to happen in your days, Habakkuk. And then he tells us that they may run. Well, there's two ways to run if you didn't figure that out yet. You can run away from God and keep on hiding and thinking he don't see your heart. Or you can turn and run and meet your God and let him heal you, make you wholehearted to love him. All that God says in his word will come true. He's told us so many promises, had not he? He says, those who believe in me, though they die, I'll raise them up at the last day. That had not happened yet, but it's going to. What God writes down in this Bible is true. It's the right message for us. We are believers. Well, we're going to see. There, I found it. Uh, we're going to go to the best verse here so far and it's got one of the best, best words in it for me uh, and we're going to do it in a, this little verse 4 in two prongs. In uh, verse 4, part A, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. Now God has revealed Habakkuk's soul to him, his heart to him. God knows all the proud hearted. He knows the nth degree of pride that's in your heart. And I want to tell you, I pray for the elders and a lot of men of the church uh, that God, the Holy Spirit will reveal the hidden pride in their hearts. You know, it's hard, it's hard not to, it's hard to see it yourself sometimes, but God has to do it. But God knows the proud. And He resists the proud. That's a correct message. God resist the proud that is God's correct message on that take but verse uh, 4b uh, this reminds me of uh, God reminded Habakkuk of something here I'm going to read that first 4b but the just live by faith and God had just reminded Habakkuk here you're a man of faith you've humbled yourself you come up here to meet with me and expose your heart and let me heal it. And then he says, remember though, now, you are a man of faith, Habakkuk. Now faith is another word I was talking about. We have two words, yet, we're in chapter 3, and faith in chapter 2. This is the backbone of true Christian life, faith. Without faith, you cannot please God. Only faith can unite a sinful man to a holy God. You have places that, like in Romans uh, one seventeen, Galatians three eleven, which I think sparked uh, that thing Martin Luther done—the rebellion against the Catholic Church, uh, prophet, uh the Reformation. There you go. And then uh, there's one of my favorites today is Second Corinthians five seven, where he says. We walk by faith, not by sight. We don't walk looking at the world. We walk looking at God. Now, faith has two prongs to it. Faith, the definition of faith, one is it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the father of faith is a Abraham. Now, Abraham, you read through there, he had all the money he needed. He had all the people to do stuff for him, and he never built a house, it said. But he was always faith. He was looking for that city, that city of Zion that was made by God's hand, not man's hand. That was his home. That was his hope. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. That's where he was headed. Is that your hope? Are you hoping for something bigger down here and better down here? This is temporary down here. That's eternal yonder. Another prong of faith is Is the evidence of things not seen. Now, Abraham, he was walking through this world and he wasn't hanging on to the things of the world like everybody else was trying to. He was walking like this, but he was clinging to his God. He was clinging to his God. And his life showed that his hope was in heaven and God was his friend. He lived like he belonged. I could say this, uh, our folks just got back from Ecuador this morning, well, many years ago there was a man named Jim Elliott and uh, some other men were killed by the Aka Indians and one of the guys that was the Aka Indian that killed, well, helped kill them was named Kimo, okay? So Kimo got saved after this, He he come to faith in Christ, his hope was now not in the stuff around the jungle but in heaven. And these guys asked him one time, he said, they said, uh, How's Christ changed your life? He said, oh, says, I used to be one that sinned all day and lived in my sin. Now I talk to God all day. So it changed him. There's the evidence that changed this man. He had real faith. Well, why do we need faith? There's, we're going to give a reason for faith, the object of our faith, and the source of our faith. And this is uh, why I like this word "faith." We all need faith. The reason is because we're sinners, I hope it's not disturbing anybody, but you're a sinner. You're a born sinner. You, 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 your fruits of your life is sin, and the wages of these sin is death, and it separates us from God. And there's one thing that God hates. Guess what it is? God hates sin. Don't think you can sin and please God, any of you, okay? You cannot. Sin, the wages of sin is eternal death under the fiery wrath of holy God. That is why man needs faith, and that is a correct message from God. Writing it down. The object of our faith is our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, in uh, Galatians 4.4 4 says in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born of a woman now this is the first Sunday of Advent so this is our Advent sermon God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law and born of a woman his name is Jesus and Jesus means he will save his people from their sins and they call him Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God with us. And you have the great union of the God-Man, Man and God. The great union, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. Once, once only in all eternity, will that be. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus being born under the law, and the law demands perfect obedience or eternal death. Not 50-50 or 80-40. Perfect obedience. And Jesus did not sin one time his whole life. Can you imagine that? You'd probably have to sit carefully and count how many times you've already sinned today. But Christ Jesus never sinned one time. And so when Christ went to the cross... He could be called the Passover lamb by Paul. And, and Peter said that you could examine him, the Passover lamb Christ, and he had no spot or no blemish. He was perfect. He was acceptable to God. And the reason he was on that cross is for all the future citizens and past people who are going to be citizens of heaven, he bore their sin. Every sin, we sang a song a while ago, he, he bore our sin not in part but whole. Folks, He bore all your sin if you're in Christ. He took all of the sin in His own body. And he became sin for us. He was He who knew no sin became sin for us. And Jesus suffered as a servant. He was suffered all the wrath of Holy God for those sins. Other words, your sin was judged in His body. So that's a great reason to be in Christ to be have one to take our sins and Jesus as a Lamb of, lamb of God well as a suffering servant Jesus was a sinner substitute the just dying for the unjust as a lamb of God he was buried and three days later he rose again as the lion of Judah the victor over the grave over hell, over sin, and over Satan. And he ascended into the heavens, where he rules now as the great prophet, priest, and king. We can't say enough about his priesthood right now, for us today even, while we're in this little meeting. He's praying for us. He's sprinkling us with our blood, his own blood to keep us holy because we still sin. him. But he, the king of heaven, the king of kings, the king of glory, the king of the angels, he is the object of our faith. What what an object we can look at. He's worth gazing on, folks. He's worth gazing on. Do you spend your days looking at your world or do you spend your days looking on your Christ? What's in the bucket is going to come up. So, that's the object. That's the reason for faith. That's the object of faith. And now here's the source of our faith. Christ himself sent the Holy Spirit back to this earth where he had done the work. And the the Holy Spirit, he now comes to the spiritually dead man or woman. And he, the Holy Spirit, is the divine work makes me alive, makes you alive, and gives you the spirit, the gift of faith. That work is called regeneration. The regenerate man or woman now, because he has saving faith, he's united to Jesus in his death. He's united to Jesus in his resurrection for all eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It's not temporary, it's eternal. That's something to look at. That's something to receive. That's something to want. That's our source of faith. So I want you to listen. Some of you um, here, young and old alike, are not in Christ, do not, has not received this faith yet. But I want to plead with you as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ as I speak to you this morning. Do not receive the grace of God in vain again. Do not receive it in vain. You've heard the gospel. You've heard it so many times here. How many times have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in this place? But God says, In an accepted time I have heard you. In the day of salvation I have helped you. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. What do you do? You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. That's for everybody. I could tell you you my time but our time here today doesn't permit. Uh, that is a correct message from God in his word. That's how many of you need to cry out for God. Some of you believe but haven't cried out, haven't made confession with your mouth that you're saved by the blood of Christ, the work of Christ. And it's an eternal thing when it happens, something that will not go away. Well, time does not permit to go long in these other respects, but there's three more places in the chapter 2 where God's speaking that uh, he has correct messages for us. We need to know them. One, uh, God will not wink or forget any sin. All sin will be judged either by Christ on the cross as a sinner's substitute or by the sinner in their fiery hell for all eternity God don't wink at your sin. He's not going to forget it. It's not going to be hid somewhere. God knows it. And you got folks here from four-year-old to 70-plus years old. And uh, God's not going to wink at any of our sins. And People need to know that. Your children need to know it. Your teenagers need to know it. Your adults need to know it. Old folks need to know it. God will not wink at your sins. And that is a correct message. And another another one that God says here is uh, God says all idols are lifeless and useless. And I want to tell you, we're idol factories. We have so many idols we don't even like to admit it, do we? But they're lifeless, they're useless, they're no good to us. And that's a correct message from God. And the last one on that is the last verse in chapter 2. God is living and God is holy God is alive eternally alive he always was always will be self-existent and he is holy that my friends is the correct message and God has wrote that down he told uh, Habakkuk to write it down but he said it all right there and so Habakkuk's writing this down you see him sitting on his wall up here writing down what God says and all of a sudden God's not saying nothing, so he puts a period at the end of that he's through he's got it correct so everybody can read it and uh, you know we're reading it today. I don't know how many years later we're reading it, but we're reading it and that's how Habakkuk became who he is. he met his God and you too can become like Habakkuk is and you little black chairs out here meet your God, meet him. Don't don't chide him. Don't don't just think you're escaping something because you come to church or say something. God wants you to love him. And so we look at chapter three, and it's a song of Habakkuk, and I can almost see him uh, standing there on that wall when he finished and raising his hands and started praising his God and worshiping God. No more complaining, no more grumbling. He's praising and worshiping his God. He's not proud-hearted anymore. He's humble. He's not self-centered. He's Christ-centered. He met God and was changed and it shows there's evidence that it shows because he's singing. He's singing. Not grumbling. So uh, it's all right to sing little songs if God gives them to you and you, to yourself or to God, but alone to God. Or if you come in the store sometimes, I'm a fan and people don't stay long Um, there's no more questioning God when you meet him no more questioning God when he changes your heart you're just trusting God and you're resting in God so I'm just going to read one verse there at the top of that chapter verse 2 and he's singing this. He says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your works in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. And in your wrath, remember mercy. Well, he's singing of the glory of God and the judgments of God. And he's, he's saying, God, it's all right. You can send those, revive your work, raise up those Chaldeans, send them so you can bring your people back to yourself. You can restore your people. They can be revived. And that's what he's saying to us today is he call on me. Let me revive you. Return to me. He loves us so much. We love him so little. We need his glory to fill this place, folks. Uh, A glory-filled church would affect the whole neighborhood, whole uptown area. It would affect our homes. It would affect our, our workplaces because people would be seeing God, a live God in you, and a humble person and a joyous person and a praising God person, uh, trusting God, not questioning God's power. We pray for things and we don't believe in God's power while we pray praying them. That would change. Then we get back down to the other little word and as we'll end there at the end of the chapter again uh, he's singing all of this and if you had not read it you need to read it and think of him singing it. Down in verse 18 that three little, three letters the yet and it it reveals Habakkuk's true heart toward God. And it can, re- it can reveal your heart towards your God. Yet, he says, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. The Lord God, He is my strength. He makes my feet like hinds' feet. He makes me to walk across the high places. That yet, does that describe you? It should. Same God. The Habakkuk met, as we, as the one we've met. So, <clears throat> this is who he is, and I got two applications. Sound like Jordan, don't it? <laughs> uh, don't tell him I said that, please. <clears throat> the, first, the first application for you and all of you is to look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus, only three words, but in these three words lies the whole secret of life. A little Frenchman named Monod wrote that, and you can get one of the books back yonder called Looking Unto Jesus. It's got 42 little paragraphs in it. It'll keep you going, it'll keep you right. So the application, it matters where you look. It matters where you look. And the second application is Habakkuk's name means clinging. He's clinging to Jesus with his whole heart now. So the application, cling to Jesus with your whole heart. Not half-hearted, but whole-hearted. Because it matters what you cling to. You're going to be clinging to the world and to Jesus like that? And say, Lord bless me, help me, get me out of death, or are you going to turn loose and pass through this world like old Abraham did, a pilgrim while you're holding on to Jesus? It's simple, folks. That's not no hard theology. It's simple theology. Meet God. Cling to Him. Look to Him. Because <clears throat> I've got one other thing to say. What's in your well is going to come up in your bucket. What's in your whale is going to come up in your bucket. Let's pray.